Hey, my name is Sambal Siddiqui. And I'm Alana Mallon, and we are two new Cambridge City Councilors, and this is our weekly podcast, Women Are Here. Hello. Hey. <laughs> how how are you doing? You know, how, how's the weather? <laughs> how's the weather? You know the weather? I love the rain. Uh, you do? Yeah, because your tears just melt in. Melt in. <laughs> I, this, this rain is not okay for me. It's the weather's... Uh, it's supposed uh, to rain until like December. Yeah. That def- was the weather forecast I saw. It's so cold. Yeah, it's like all of a sudden fall. Yeah, I'm like downing vitamin C so I don't get sick. I need, you, to, I need to get my vitamin, um, my flu shot like you did. How have you not gotten it? We have discussed this. I know. It's free at CVS. Oh, I know. Which CVS did you go to? The one right here in Central. Oh. Five minutes, girl. Okay, maybe I'll do that on the way. Uh, you'll forget. Yeah. <laughs> so how are you? How's the weather for you? The weather has been tough, yeah. but it's not terrible. Um, yeah. Yeah. And anything new? Um, oh, I did start watching the new season of This Is Us. Right. Oh, my my, fa- my family <laughs> was like, mom, you have to stop crying that hard. <laughs> it was so good. I was like a little bit hesitant to watch the new season because at, at the end of last season, I was like, this guy's really running for city council in another state. Like, come on. It really drove me bananas. It's not in this at all. It's like a whole different group of people. Like tied in with the Pearson family. Okay. But it was, I mean, the way that the first episode brought, got brought together was like the same as the the very first episode where they're like, oh. Oh, you're like, oh my God, they're triplets. <gasps> I get it. Okay. Um, No, it was really good. I have to watch. I, I have to admit, I, I... Well, you stopped watching before we even found out how the dad died. I know. I don't know what happened to me, but I still watch Chicago Fire and Grey's Anatomy <laughs> and Blackish, like every week if I can not when it's airing but like I have a, like one chunk of time where I'll just, just like, like binge. hit them all I'm just like oh yeah catch up with your stories <laughs> as my grandmother would say <laughs> just gotta catch up with my stories exactly I do have a recommendation for a new spot if you want like a uh, bubble tea or, oh. or a, a latte or something so okay. it's called abide where's it's at Middlesex Lounge yes it's been there forever I didn't Oh my god! So it's open from eleven to eight. Yeah, and then like it's a nightclub. So I went in there yesterday because I saw like a Facebook ad. I got something called the strawberry no the pink panther. Mm. It was a strawberry hazelnut latte. Honestly, okay, that sounds gross though. It, it wasn't. Okay. It was amazing. Okay. And the woman who owns it, her name's Jamie. She li- she's lives in Cambridge, and um, she was it was funny. She was like, "Oh, you're 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 Sambal Siddiqui." I was like, "Yeah." Oh my god, you're famous! My friends had door knocked her. Oh, last that's funny. Week, so it was like all oh, you know. Oh, it all came I, yeah. together. Anyway, I was like, I, I had, I swallowed basically. I just like inhaled that mm-hmm, latte. Mm-hmm. Anyway, for those of you who don't know about it, because I can't be the only one. Well, I, I only found it because I did one of those like Central Square uncovered tours. Okay. And they took me in there, and I was like, oh, I had no idea. This was like a year ago. The, everything in there is delicious. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's such a good idea to open a nightclub. Like during the day for something like that. Yeah, it's a huge space. You can just sit in there and like drink your latte. Mm-hmm. Anyway, to our listeners, please go. It's on Mass Ave. It's right next to uh, Darwin's. Yeah, and support a good local business. Yes. And really delicious. Strawberry drinks. hazelnut latte. Anyway, <laughs> so that was my, 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 my news for the listeners. Good tip, everyone. Um, okay, so we have had a semi-busy week. Um, Monday night, we had a pretty big, long meeting at the city council where we had a tax rate setting hearing. So every year, um, the city manager puts together with his staff uh, the 
annual property tax rate. So we're going to try to make this fun, as fun as taxes can be. Yeah. Okay. So this set the residential tax rate at $5.75 per $1,000 of value for the fiscal year 2020. And then the commercial tax rate is $12.68 per $1,000 of value. So the fiscal 2020 tax rates are lower than the fiscal year 2019 tax rate tax rates. Uh, see, I'm already making this Tech not weight. fun. <laughs> um, so we approved moving um, $2.5 million in overlay surplus and $14 million in free cash to use to accommodate the lower property tax levy. Um, the budget also ap- allocates additional funding for a wide variety of city resources, including affordable housing, the police cadet program, uh, urban forestry, and public education. So this was actually like a long conversation um, around why we um, are using some of our free cash funds to subsidize property tax, property taxes for property owners. So it was an interesting conversation. I think, um, what did you think? Yeah, I think, you know, we both raised the issue of feeling like it's great that we have lower taxes mm-hmm. <laughs> on the one hand, and then the whole year and 10 months we've heard so much from folks being displaced. Yeah, being displaced and worried about, you know, why can't we increase our tax rate and and go and can that go towards affordable housing? So we always, it seems we always have that discussion. Um, and it'd be good to, as soon as they start their new budget, like have uh, more of a conversation on that about using, it, it's great to have lower taxes, but what, what else can we do? Yeah, so using... Uh, Free cash um, to offset the tax burdens due to increasing property value assessments has been the city's practice since 2006. So there was a kind of a long conversation of that practice and how to address and improve it um, going forward by many counselors, including you and I and others. Um, And it sounds like the city manager is going to convening you know, do a convening of a larger discussion in the months ahead. So just so people know, this is the 15th year in a row that the majority of taxpayers, so 61% will see a reduction, no increase, or an increase of less than $100 on their tax bills. And 74% of all taxpayers will see an increase of less than $250 over last year. Um, Additionally, we voted to ensure that there's, again, a residential exemption of 30% for owner-occupied homes. Um, That was something that I think we've heard from a lot of people, I th- for some reason, people are very nervous we're going to get rid of that residential exemption, yeah. which I, I can't. Absolutely not. No, I can't imagine that anyone would want to do that. I think it's um, a very powerful tool um, for us, as, um, as especially when we're talking about, you know, absentee property owners yeah. and um, people just stashing their money in a condo and then never living there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have exemption for seniors. and Yeah, so I actually went through some of the exemptions for seniors because I think that's a a kind of perennial question mm-hmm. about how we're pre- how we're protecting our senior citizens who are on fixed incomes, while in the same time, properties are it's assessed values yeah. are going up and up and up. I w- I brought my own tax bills to the meeting. I I went back to two thousand and six when we moved in to find out how much money we were paying in two thousand and six versus today, and the difference is only five hundred and fifty bucks, even though my assessed value has gone up almost a hundred percent. Right. So it's an interesting. Um, conversation. I think one of the things I was talking about was, and I'm not remembering the numbers off the top of my head, but, you know, in that same time between 2006 and now, the the rent per month, the average rent has gone up over $1,000. Right. And in some cases, way over $1,000 mm-hmm. a month. So, you know, 
the city manager was talking about, well, we really need to pr be protecting um, property owners by reducing the tax rates. And I, I think the question that a lot of us were asking was, how are we protecting our renters? Right. And that's a huge, huge missing piece to this. You know, you look at the Essex apartments coming up, three bedroom rental is 3000 Oh, no, I'm sorry. I was 6000 like, I was like, you wish. I wish it was. <laughs> yeah, a, a studio is about 2500 to 3000 I mean, these are... These are San Francisco prices, <laughs> mine as well. So we have to do something. I mean, we will have, I there's recommendations forthcoming, but even from the task force that I've chaired, but even these recommendations, I mentioned this, like we have to, we don't do home rules because they fail usually. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but, it, you know, we, the rental caps and something, There, ha there's something, this conversation has to happen of how can we actually help renters? Mm -hmm. And if there's a way forward, uh, to help with some of that instability. Yeah, and I it's I have to stay off Twitter from the next 26 days yeah. cuz I just can't. But, you know, there's conversations around you know, I hear this a lot. Well, like renters don't participate and they're not connected to the community. They don't they don't pay taxes so they and it's like well, renters pay taxes through their rent. Yeah. Um through their property owners. They, they are invested in this community and just being out talking to people on the doors. You know, there's a lot of people who have been renting below market for a long time from mm -hmm. like a long time Cambridge residents who happen to own a triple decker or two family um, who are quite, quite honestly at this point elderly. Mm -hmm. And so I've talked to a lot of people who have housing insecurity based on the fact that they've been living here for sometimes 10, 15 years yeah. in the same apartment and just hoping um, that their property doesn't change hands because otherwise they can't afford to stay here. Yeah. And so that's that's really real. I mean, if I think if you think about this as like property owners versus renters, it's, that's too binary of a conversation to be having. I think, um, you know, 65% of our population is renters. renters yeah. And, you know, those folks need to be protected too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So anyways, longer conversation, but um, it sounds like we're going to be having more tax. Uh, conversations. No, more tax conversations going forward. I think it's important for the community to get involved in this. Absolutely. Another thing we talked about was uh, Alexander Real Estate. So we've talked about this on the podcast a few times. One million times. Yes. So we'll be quick. So Grand Junction <laughs> uh, Pathway Overlay Petition is what it's called. On the would be on the former Met Pipe site. And so Alexander Real Estate has been working with the Linden Park neighborhood to rezone the Mutt Pipe location on Fulkerson and Binney Streets in East Cambridge. There's been a lot of concerns regarding the Eversource location plan for Fulkerson Street. So the city council had asked that the, the development community, city leadership, and Eversource find an alternate location for their proposed substation. And these conversations have been happening, and they've yet to find a suitable alternative. So we were told that in four to six weeks, we'd have more information and a new location. Perhaps. Uh, like perhaps, mm -hmm. right. So um, in order to give that group more time to facilitate those conversations, Alexandria has asked the council to take no action on their petition. And so what that means is that they will refile a petition and the matter is going to be placed on the table. Yeah, so hopefully that will give... Um, some more time. Some more time to have those conversations. And I know we had a conversation or meeting with Eversource last week. Yeah, two weeks, two weeks ago. ago. I don't know. Yeah, um, where they were, you know, it seems like everyone's coming to the table with, in good faith to try to find an alternate location and a solution, but it just seems like there's some engineering concerns mm -hmm. that they have to figure out before they can commit to a new space. So, 
more on that later, but they will be refiling their petition probably very soon. Um, Okay, so one of the other things that happened on Monday night was um, I put in a policy order asking the city manager to create a director of arts and culture position. So I submitted this policy order um, because as part of the the mayor's arts task force and the final recommendations that came out um, in July after nine months of collaboration with leaders in the Cambridge arts community, um, this was the one of the number one recommendations was to hire someone that would be able to then take those 70 recommendations and prioritize them and try to figure out how to use the additional funding that we identified through the through the task force and through the city manager's office um, and how to deploy those resources in the community in a in a way that um, will support our artists and our arts organizations. I mean, I think we've had a lot of conversations in Cambridge about the you know, you talk about tenant displacement a lot. The arts organization displacement here in Cambridge is, it's it's reaching a, a really critical point. Yeah. So it it certainly didn't start with EMF, but it was a very, um, you know, public discourse around um, what supporting artists and musicians looks like. And last week, Green Street Studios, which is a small dance studio, you know, they have three studios. And, you know, it's actually 7,000 square, close to 7,000 square feet, which is highly used every single day, seven days a week. And a lot of people um, run their business out of there. So like, you know, if you run a a flamenco dancing um, studio, like a class, that's your business. Um, All of a sudden, you are not, you're not going to be able to... (laughs) sustain your business anymore because there aren't other it's not like okay well green street studios is is closing so there's like all these other dance studios that i can move to it's just simply not um there so you know looking at um some solutions i think it's it's so hard because the rent you know what they were telling us is that the rent basically tripled 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 Mm -hmm. and that's what's happened in harvard square that's what's happening everywhere that these Folks are coming in. Well, they're owners, overpaying. Overpaying. And mm-hmm. then are like, oh, well, since I'm overpaying, here's what I'm going to charge for rent. Well, and actually, you know, if you dig into, well, I've been digging into this a little bit, but like, you know, when you borrow money from a lender in order to ensure that you are meeting the qualifications for that lending note, that note, right, you have to... Right. You have to increase your rent. Otherwise, it's not viable as uh, like you may not pay your mortgage every mm-hmm. month. Um, doesn't mean right or it, anyways. And in this situation, the Green Street Studios, I don't want to belabor it. But there is a need for someone in the community, someone higher up in city government to really be looking at how we are supporting our arts organizations and our artists. And a director of arts and culture, um, I think, would actually be a huge benefit to the city, but I also think it would be a really big signal to our arts organizations and artists and musicians that Absolutely. we're taking this seriously yeah. and we are wanting to support them through having someone that has an overarching look. And you know, I think there was questions about, well, what does this mean for the Arts Council? And well, you know, when I was looking across the state and across the country, Arts Councils, all, function and you know they they do their thing right they right. they put on events they do the, the great open studios that we just had they um they administer New grants small grants to artists and and do that supportive work in that way this would be somebody who would be looking at okay what programs what um 
what funding are we, what major funding are we going to go after? What, how are we going to be deploying our vast resources and doing that deep collaboration work mm-hmm. um, that, you know, our arts council just doesn't, it's not staffed to do that. The other thing is, you know, it's not just arts, it's culture too. So one of the things we talked about for nine months during the task force is um, how are we supporting our very diverse community here with the events that we put on, right? So, you know, if you think about the 12 months of events that we have here, are we really representing the diverse communities here? Are, are people yeah. feeling like there's something for them? Like the we talked about this in the podcast, you know, there's a city dance party. Wouldn't it be great to have a Bollywood party? Yeah. Like a Bollywood bonga party, of right? Course. Like there's, yeah. you know, there's just different ways to think about that, and it shouldn't be because there's a city councilor who happens to be Pakistani or a Muslim or you yeah. know Afro Caribbean. It should be some person who is really taking a holistic look at what we do here in Cambridge and how that's reflective of our community. So I am, I'm excited. Yeah, I support it 100%. And I'm glad that, you know, we heard from public comment too. We've gotten a lot of emails about the, the this, how people are feeling after this news has come out. And it's it's difficult. We've, we feel it too. And we we think our, we're, we're, we're trying to do as everything we can to make sure that there's not another big high profile closure. But I think this role would help us have some eyes on the ground too. Yeah. And I, th- I think one of the things I said on Monday night was, look, I, I toured EMF. I've been to Green Street right. Studios. I've been to some of these places and these are, they're surviving, mm-hmm. right? Because they're, they're underfunded all the time and there's this scarcity mindset. And, you know, we want our arts community not just to survive. We want them to thrive. Yeah. Right. So how do we, how do we do that? And I think this is the first step. Yeah. And the thing with rent is rent is for most businesses like the biggest overhead yeah and if they can't afford the rent you know it's it just so someone in city get we have to speak to our assessing we have a new assessor so oh i know yeah, so Gail. we should yeah really get her in these she's she's in these conversations but it is crazy how the rent has just gone up and up just not only for our tenants but our commercial tenants who can't um you know pay it and if you think about the arts particularly dance, like you need a ton of space. Exactly. Like we were looking at alternate, you know, locations mm-hmm. for Green Street and, it, you know, you find a place and you're like, oh, but the ceilings are only 11 right. feet tall. And you're like, well, that would be great for most people. <laughs> but when you are thinking about dance and you're thinking about partner, like there's just, yeah, or like, you know, percussive dancing. It's, right. It needs a special floor, but it also, you can't have somebody below you, right? Like, cause, yeah. you know, you don't want somebody tap dancing above exactly. your like office mm-hmm, all mm-hmm. day. Oh, so anyway, anyway, we'll we'll keep you posted. Uh, other uh, policy orders. I had a policy order um, requesting some increased funding to Homebridge, a program to assist first-time home buyers to purchase a home in Cambridge. Currently, eligible uh, buyers receive financial assistance for a portion of the price of the home in exchange. They enter into an affordable housing uh, restriction, and so funding has been. You know, th- there's funding. We have about five hundred. Or so units uh, of that are home homeownership units, uh, but some of the funding isn't available for certain income levels, and so we, um, you know, I really I've been working, I've been hearing a lot on Homebridge, and you have too the last year, yeah, this whole term, and I had put we had put in a policy order earlier on this year too that requested a review of the Homebridge program and the city's down payment assistance program, which <laughs> I was like. 
hey, hey guys, everyone. Where, where, where is that? <laughs> you know, we, we, they were like, oh, you know, we've been busy with the overlay. So uh, we're going to be hearing back on it hopefully soon. But it, it got into kind of how many residents are we serving through Homebridge? And, you know, are these residents coming from affordable, well, other affordable housing programs, you know, because I like the right. idea are of they social. A springboard to something right. else. Right, right. Social and mobility. Exactly. Are there, what are the wait, and what, how long are the wait lists, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I hope that's forthcoming and also that we can, we can increase funding to, to this program. And then those homes stay within that program forever. Yeah. So even if somebody that, you know, you talk about that social mobility, like you move out of a Homebridge limited equity um, home, and then you move somewhere else, you decide I'm going to move somewhere else, then that home stays within that program. So the more that we can purchase or help assist people purchase, the longer they stay within the portfolio. And that's, that's, you know, like you're not building any more units. Um, You're just creating affordable home ownership opportunities forever. Yeah. And I think uh, this lends an opportunity to folks who would otherwise not be able to get a mortgage or, you know, and so, and it's very hard. So I, I think people have this, you know, you want your own home. There are some things with the program that I think can be better. Uh, so, and so that that's why I was hoping, that's why I suggested in the in the evaluation after some feedback from residents. But I think it we should be increasing funding and hopefully it can be included in next year's budget. Yeah, I'm excited about that. And one of the things I talk about when I'm on the doors with people, like people want to know about home ownership opportunities. Yeah. Um, so another thing we talked about was... Um, a welcoming community ordinance. So this is um, the proposed ordinance would serve to kind of formalize the way in which the police department will continue working with ICE, which is Immigration and Customs Enforcement, and the circumstances uh, in which they won't. So this is a critical companion to our status as a sanctuary city. But as we recently saw in Boston, um, if there's an ordinance that isn't adopted that specifically calls out those parameters, we could see community members deported like they did in Boston. And I think there was a... Uh, feeling that we did not want to be surprised. So we really wanted to codify the relationship between the police department and ICE moving forward. But then there was some concerns around what the city solicitor um, would need and what the police department would need. And so we had a, a meeting where I feel like a lot of us felt kind of frustrated that we weren't moving faster yeah. on this because, again, I think we just don't want to be surprised. But Hopefully, we will have that back from the solicitor's office quickly and be able to finalize this ordinance. Absolutely. Uh, I, I will sleep better at night, for sure. Yeah, and I think there was this discussion of, like, policy versus ordinance, and I liked what you and others had said, like, policy is much less enforceable. <laughs> so Right, in a situation where you're like, yeah. I don't want people to get deported for, because of their immigration status, because right. maybe they break their back at a job site, like it exactly. happened in Boston, um, but we, <laughs> like... You can have a policy and that's fine, or you can have a law. Exactly. And this is what yeah. we want. So that was that was another thing that came up. And then um, another thing that came up that we worked on was uh, this idea of an open Harvard Square. So based on the open Newberry Street days that happened this summer and the previous one, um, as well as the need to create more um, kind of foot traffic in Harvard Square to support our fragile retail environment, uh, I submitted this order with the vice mayor and with you to investigate if an open Harvard Square model could work in the summer of 2020 and then potentially be a pilot for having more pedestrian-only days in Harvard Square. So Harvard Square is closed off for several annual events like Oktoberfest this weekend, and the blueprint exists to do it. So on days that have on days that have a large-scale event, but they're just 
there does not ex- there isn't just like shut the square down just for like hanging out and drinking boba tea and and hitting the stores like I was saying Monday night like I actually don't go to Oktoberfest because I don't like crowds yeah it makes me nervous so um it would really be nice to be there when it isn't like super jam packed exactly and I think it would I think it would really be a boon to the local retail environment if there was people there I mean just taking back the streets let's yeah. do it yeah hopefully. I don't know when that mall is supposed to go up, but there is a lot of, hopefully the construction <laughs> is not a It's so weird or. that that building is just, it's just so weird. But it's just gone. I know. It's like my child, like Urban Outfitters. I, but it's the just, whole thing is just whole, gone. Yeah, it's wild. It's it's so wild. It's so wild. Like if the garage goes, I mean, I don't know what I'm going to do. Is that your tipping point? You're yeah. Like, I'm that's moving. like where we spent days in high school. Yeah. Starbucks used to be the record store. No, it used to be PacSun. Like, oh my god, so many memories, so many tears. Anyway, speaking of Harvard, I co-sponsored a policy order suggesting that the payment in lieu of taxes, called also known as Pilot, uh, to, uh, that the Harvard and MIP pay on their non-taxable property, it was about seven million last year, uh, to be directed to increase the total funding directed to the Affordable Housing Trust. So, as we know, our universities create more demand for housing than they meet on their own campuses. And so this was um, a suggestion that the vice mayor, myself, and a few other counselors uh, submitted. I also brought up during the meeting that we have these pilot agreements that we've signed with um, MIT and Harvard back in 2004, 2005. And they've been signed for, uh, one's been signed for 40 years. (laughs) And another one has been signed for until 2024. But as I said there, you know, there is, you can have amendments to any contract. And I think at least we should be renegotiating or thinking about how things have changed. Even the the list of properties has, there's just so much has changes in the time that this has been signed that I don't think it's okay to just go by old agreements. Well, particularly Harvard, (laughs) because MIT is the largest property taxpayer Mm -hmm. in the city by like a country mile. Um, they pay a huge percentage of our taxes, but Harvard right. has like one of the biggest endowments I in the know, whole I know, country, I know. and then they pay. It just it doesn't make it's just not right. <laughs> it's just not right. It's not right. <laughs> and so, you know, this is something that I really do want to dig into uh, soon. So, well, I look forward to that. All right. So that was kind of the council meeting. Yeah, it was a snoozy one. We were both like. Uh, at one point, <laughs> not paying attention oh, because Councillor Zondervan was not there, so every single vote had to be a voice vote, yeah. which means that we couldn't just be like say I, and everyone just kind of like raise mm-hmm. their hand. There were like, I've never in my life voted so many times. It was just like, Ugh. It was, yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and at that one point, I'm like zoned out. <laughs> People were like Councillor Zadiki, Councillor Zadiki, hello. Cons- oh, I was like, oh yes. <laughs> so, okay. My bad. <laughs> I'm paying attention. No. At one point, I just said no, just to throw a no out there, just for fun. And I was like, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. It was just so, I, I seriously was. That was awful. I don't know what it was. Why did we get out of there so late, so too? So everything was charter-righted from the week oh, before. that's right. We had so many. Okay. So anyway. Anyway, fun stuff coming up this weekend. So as aforementioned, uh, Honk and Oktoberfest are happening this weekend. Um, so Honk actually starts tomorrow night. If you've never been, it's a treat. So Honk is an awesome annual three-day 
free festival, bringing brass bands from all over the United States and the world to Somerville for a celebration of music, community, and activism. Organized entirely by volunteers and now in its 12th year, the festival kicks off on Friday night, which is tomorrow night, with a lantern parade in Davis Square neighborhoods and a band uh, showcase. So, And then on Saturday, more than 25 bands take over Davis Square for a huge music and dance party. And then on Sunday, there's a um, parade from Davis Square all the way along Mass Avenue to Harvard Square, which ends in Harvard Square and Oktoberfest starts. So there's a ton of music, there's street vendors, there's a ton of food. I won't be there. I used to love going. Because I don't like crowds. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Um, but definitely go to the – the parade is awesome because you can – it. Like you're the, going? I love the parade. Do you, are you going to go? Yeah. I'll go with you. I go to the parade. Okay. Because my kids love it and it's kind of fun. And like the music is amazing and like uh, the honk bands are themselves are really, really great and they come from all over the country and some of them are so, so, so talented. So that's happening um, this weekend. So starting tomorrow night, Friday night, and then culminating in the parade and ending at Oktoberfest on Sunday at noon. Awesome. So I'm going to have to come Oh, wait. You. So there's you can find out more at honkfest.org slash 2019-festival. Great. On Saturday, Liam's Lunches of Love um, is doing a million lunch challenge at Dana Park from 12 to 4. So the million lunch challenge encourages each and every person able to feed a hungry person and share the news on social media while challenging a new person to do the same. The launch event will be held on October 12, 2019 uh, at Dana Park and the drive, which takes its inspiration from the Ice Bucket Challenge, has set a goal of feeding 1 million people in a year. The event itself will have food, entertainment, bag, decorating, a bouncy house and more. That sounds like fun. I will be there. I yeah. love that, Liam. Yeah, I need to. I think I. I think I didn't respond to their message, so I have to. Yeah, I definitely come. Yeah. And I think the weather's supposed to not be great, but they're going to do it anyway. Awesome. Uh, all right. So um, there's also a welcome event for Cambridge immigrant communities on Saturday. Also on Saturday, the Commission on Immigrants' Rights and Citizenship will host its second welcoming event for the Cambridge. Cambridge's immigrant communities from 11 to 2 at the lecture hall and community room in the lower level of the main library uh, at 449 Broadway. All are welcome, and the event is free. Great. And then on Monday, it is Indigenous Peoples Day. Uh, and so since 2016, the second Monday of October has been celebrated as Indigenous Peoples Days in recognition of the culture, history, and diversity of Native Americans and their continued contributions to the vibrancy and vitality of our society. Uh, the, this name change uh, was part of a growing movement across the country to change the narrative of history towards a recognition of the survival, the resilience, diversity, and strength of indigenous peoples who are among us residents in Massachusetts and indeed New England, the United States, and the world. So nobody told the Cambridge Chronicle because nope. they just <laughs> wrote an article and posted it on social media about 10 things to learn about Christopher Columbus for Columbus Day. So annoying. <laughs> so anyways, tweet, so, tweet at them. Yeah, tweet at them. They did it last year too and we had a conversation about this. It's like, they never, they don't learn. I don't know. Anyway, uh, there's a lot of events um, that uh, are coming up for as part of Indigenous Peoples Day that go throughout the month. There's an event uh, at Harvard Yard on a, on Monday at the undergrad group, uh, Native Americans at Harvard College. Uh, they're hosting an observance in Harvard Yard in front of Matthews Hall. Uh, there's going to be events at uh, there's going to be a film screening at city hall on friday october 18th 5 30 to uh, 7 30 um called 500 years uh it, and it will it's going to tell a lot of the story about indigenous mayan 
the indigenous Mayan population. Um, and then there's also, there's a lot of events. So you can go to the mayor's website and, and check them all out. Yeah, I'm, I'm in, intrigued by the film screening. Yeah, I didn't know any, I had to really search for this. So yeah, there there, is, there's a lot of events. <laughs> there's a lot of events and Indigenous Peoples Day is on Monday, which means we don't have a council meeting. Yeah. Which is interesting. Um, so we will... Uh, We'll be back. We'll be back. Uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. If you are interested or curious about anything that we've talked about here today or you wish that we would talk about, please tweet at us. I'm at A-M-M-A-L-L-O-N. And I'm at S-U-M-B-U-L-S-I-D-D. All right, everybody. Have a great week and weekend and Indigenous Peoples Day. We will talk to you soon. Yeah, stay warm and dry. Bye-bye. <laughs>